Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. Today, I am incredibly excited to have with me Colin Wright. Now, to get in touch with Colin, you can find him on exilelifestyle.com. You can also search Colin Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. You can search Colin is my name, all one word. Also, Colin.io. And Colin, it is absolutely a honor and a privilege to have you on bought pretty much all your books. How many books do you have? <laughs> oh, 30-something, I think. It, okay. it depends on how you count it and how far back you go. Okay, well, I think I have seven, so I'm kind of that's slacking. Great, <laughs> no, that is a great story. I think that's more than my family has, so way to go. <laughs> well, I like you more than your family then. Um, <laughs> but I found your story super intriguing. Now, how old are you? I am 31. 31. Okay, I knew it was right around there. So... I'm 45, so you definitely were way, way faster than I was in figuring out that what you own owns you. So tell me about that story with your girlfriend, if that was your biggest struggle. Oh, gosh. Well, I, I can, I'll tell a quick abbreviated version of that story. That basically, I was living in LA and running a branding studio and was kind of doing what people do when they don't grow up with a lot of money and very suddenly are making a lot of money. Uh-huh. I was kind of going on a spending spree and doing all the things I thought that people with money did and trying to maintain that impression of an LA lifestyle and uh, basically did that for a couple of years and found myself very, very quickly degrading health-wise. I, w- I was getting like four or five hours of sleep a night if I was lucky and was always kind of very wired and very caffeinated and very stressed out because of the amount of money that was involved in every transaction. Every client that I had was very demanding and perhaps rightfully so based on the amount of money that was being exchanged. But it was an incredibly uh, difficult to maintain <laughs> lifestyle, I guess, might be an accurate way to describe it. And I realized that shortly after I turned 24, that if I kept doing this, I was going to keep doing it because looking at all of my mentors at the time, and, and a few of them were my clients, these, these big wig billionaires who were kind of taking me under their wing and teaching me some of the stuff that they knew about business, they never slowed down and they just kept right. going. And and you could see it in their lifestyle. They were very unhealthy. They were very unhappy. A lot of them had many, many, like seven divorces in one case, like oh just all of his kids hated him. And so it didn't have much in terms of relationships. Uh, everyone in, in their lives, not, not in all cases, but in many cases, some of these people, everyone they surrounded themselves with were people that were only there because they were being paid. And right. Looking at that, looking at all of these consequences and realizing that they were the natural end point of the direction that I was headed made me realize that I, I wasn't any smarter than these guys. I, there was little reason to believe that I would do it any differently and that if I didn't get off this fast moving conveyor belt 
I would wake up one day and I would be 60 and I would be unhappy and and have probably most of these same uh, negative consequences in my life as well. So I took a step back and it, it was the result actually of a, of a road trip. I had like never taken a vacation the entire time I was in LA. Not. Why do that? No. <laughs> At no time could not justify it. That's not what you did. You were important if you didn't have time to take vacations and take right. care of yourself. That was the perception. Uh, so I took this vacation with my, my then girlfriend and we both realized that actually we were both kind of running these marathons, running these races that we didn't actually want to finish. Like there was nothing waiting for us at the finish line than, you know, this lifestyle that we didn't want. And so we decided that we would change that. We both took a step back and, and over the course of a, a couple conversations decided to change everything and and we set a date four months from when we returned to LA we would have a breakup party and make that a part of going our separate ways because the relationship in a way was part of what was standing in the way being that social um we were like the social gravity couple that had everybody over and went out networking and stuff and, and so that was part of the lifestyle that was harmful but but also the the lifestyle as a whole had to change and right for me, what the next step was going to be was travel, this thing that I was putting off and putting off, never got around to. I was going to get around to it. Which is so exciting because you were 24 at the time, which is really pretty young. I have a daughter who's 24, and she's probably super advanced for a 24-year-old. And it's that same sort of mentality that you're looking at this and figuring it out at such a young age. I, I think there's different, definitely different types of advanced though. Yes. <laughs> yes, no, there, yes. <laughs> uh, for me, I, like I had always done so well in academics and I, right. I took naturally to entrepreneurship. It was something that really made sense to me and that I really enjoyed the game of to a certain degree, but I was acutely aware and made it becoming increasingly aware with every year that there was so much about the world that I didn't know. And, and there were so many things in terms of my own personal philosophies and well-being that I just was not maintaining, taking care of, or developing. And, and just in terms of general sophistication about how the world works, different cultures, all of these things, I knew nothing about. And, and so I you know, look around and you can look at any 24-year-old. I would wager that each and every person has different experiences and different advantages and disadvantages. Mine were just very heavily weighted for a couple of different things, my advantages and disadvantages. Correct. Now, you made a comment earlier about how you had a job where you were making quite a bit of money, which was unfamiliar territory for you. So can you backtrack a little growing up? What struggles were there prior to college and the job and the money? Well, you know, looking back, as a kid, I seem to remember feeling like I, we hung out with a lot of families that were a lot wealthier than us. Okay. And part of that was growing up in the Bay Area, we, we went to a private Catholic school. So you went to a private Catholic college with your sister growing up. Is that what you were? Yeah, okay. private Catholic uh, elementary school. And okay. when when we moved out to Missouri, no longer we went to a public school at that point because it really was a situation where we couldn't really afford the private school. And there, I have three siblings, and so there was an increasing number of us over the span of my childhood. Um, so kind of finite resources spread. Uh, thinner and thinner and it, but but we like looking back we we didn't lack for anything and so we we certainly weren't impoverished we we weren't missing anything we never we didn't go without food or things right. like that 
didn't, you know, by comparison to the other people that we seemed to be around, um, we, we didn't have a whole lot. We didn't have a lot of luxuries except for books. Our parents would always buy us books if we wanted them. They would come up with the money for that. Um, again, looking back, you, you realize all of these things. I, I think most people have a, a moment when they get into their twenties, when they look at their parents and say, Oh my God, they actually did an amazing amount for me that I didn't realize. I, I kind of just saw them as a limit to me having fun, but in reality, they, <laughs> they were putting off all of their luxuries and hobbies and lifestyle choices right. so that I could have a stupid book that I wanted that right. I never got around to reading. Um, so there was a lot of that happening. We, we weren't poor, but we certainly weren't wealthy. And, and as a result, we kind of had to, we had to work to, to get anything above and beyond the fundamentals. So I, I started working, I, I got a work permit at 14 so I could start working at a bookstore. Of course. Um, Where else? Yeah, exactly. Cause I, I needed to feed my book addiction. Right. Uh, and, and for all the other things that a teenage boy wants, I wanted my video games and I, I wanted to get a computer and things like that. And those were things that were definitely not in the family budget. So, um, that those were um, relatively mundane struggles that thankfully led to a consequence of of valuing uh, hard work and valuing where money comes from, um, which is why then the LA thing was a little bit a weird point in my life because for the first time I had all this money coming in that I didn't really. It, it was coming in much easier than I thought it should have come in. So it, it didn't have the same type of weight to it. And so I spent it much easier with a lot more, uh, with a lot less care than I had for the rest of my life. That's very interesting. But you had the work ethic. But even though you had the work ethic, you didn't want to be a six year old burnt out who never lived your dreams. Yeah. Yeah. And, and part of the realization actually was that I was working so hard to achieve like somebody else's idea of success, this idea of success that is, you know, earning a billion dollars and having all these psychophants in your life that tell you yes to everything that you say because you're paying all their paychecks. Like I didn't actually want that, but that's the default path that we're given. That's what we're supposed to aspire to because that is considered to be quote unquote good and quote unquote success in terms of our society for most of us, some version of that. Um, and I realized that I, I was spending all this time and effort and working my butt off trying to do better and better and compete more and more and experiencing some success in that way. I could be applying that same effort to growing as a human being and learning and seeing things and doing things and being happy and being healthy. And that that was the big pivot point when I had that moment of realization that I am – taking this massive amount of torque that I have access to and applying it to a really pointless endeavor, what happens when I apply it to something meaningful? Holy cow, imagine that. <laughs> I know, right? And, and anytime you go against the grain. So you and your girlfriend made this adult decision. You had four months. You both worked towards that. During that four months, you worked towards those goals. You did have the breakup party. It all pretty much went like according to that first conversation that you guys had had where you came to that realization, this is not where either one of us want to be. And all of that happened. You had the party. Yeah, yeah, we did. It was a crazy success. I can't believe it worked. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's motivating for those of us who feel stuck and don't understand how to get anywhere. I mean, this, this is a big deal to go against the grain. Um, people look at you two ways. I'm sure they have with me as well in different areas, one with envy and one with disdain. And because I think people 
are disgusted that you would do something different and envious because they don't have the balls to do the same thing. Mm, yeah, it, it's confusion in a way, <laughs> but I think it's also partially it's it's more more than disdain. I think it's usually discomfort yes. because people want some of the rewards and benefits of going against the grain in that way, but acknowledging that it's possible and seeing somebody else do it makes them feel that now they must question it. Uh, whereas before it's very easy to ignore it or just assume that it's not possible and therefore you don't have to address these problems. That's just the way things are. Because whereas it fits into it, a box. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But right. but as soon as you see somebody else in a different type of box or, or doing something right. else outside of a box, then you have to accept the fact that there is life outside of that box. And that means if you are not doing something to address your own problems, that is a choice you're making. It's not right. the world happening Correct. to you. And that's a very uncomfortable thing. <laughs> Isn't it though? Right. So I think part of why I was so drawn to your story um, and stalking you somewhat online <laughs> uh, is because you went against the grain, which is something that I've never had an issue doing either. I mean, we have 13 kids. That's just so abnormal. Mm. People don't understand it. And we live in 1,700 square feet, which is the other thing that people just absolutely can't wrap their minds around. And so we can all have different stories that are equally as uncomfortable for people. And so you became, in a sense, an alter ego. Your story, um, as a parallel to my story, where travel was one of the things I wanted to do, and I decided instead to have this huge family, which mm. was <laughs> my own outside of the box. Um, and no regrets, but then you did those things that a lot of us want to do. So moving forward a little, you sold everything. You became a minimalist kind of as a side note to this desire, it seems like. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. No, that's totally true. I, I had never, like minimalism wasn't a thing when I started doing this. I, I think right. the only person Correct. writing about it was Leo Babauta. Right. And yeah. He had, he had kind of just started his blog and I only, I went to visit it after other people started saying that I was a minimalist because I was getting rid of my stuff and trying to refocus on the important stuff rather than doing, like earning as much as possible just for the sake of earning as much as possible. And, and I'm like, oh yeah, that actually does align. And, and now that you mention it, like that's the way that I've been explaining what I'm trying to do, but it's a much more concise term. So yeah, I guess that, that totally does fit with the philosophy that I'm trying to live here. And, and I mean, on not only that, but you became more of a minimalist than most of us who are, that consider ourselves minimalists because you have your backpack with your tech stuff and you have your bag with your clothing and like, that's it. That's <laughs> except you did just buy a car. So I did. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. but I would argue, like, I would argue that that's, that's, uh, one of those, those misconceptions that owning less makes you more of a minimalist. I don't think at all. I, I think having exactly the right things makes you a minimalist. And, and so for me, what that looks like is owning very, very little because anything above and beyond that, I literally have to carry on my back. So it makes sense for me to own very little. Whereas if you have 13 kids or something like that, you need to own very different things. And that you're every bit as much a minimalist as somebody who carries everything on his back. It's just different priorities that you are putting at the forefront of, of what you buy and where you focus your attention. And I love that how all of us that are practicing minimalism are so completely varied and so completely committed at the same time. 
dissimilar to the running community where regardless of how many minute miles you run, you're still a runner, that sort mm. of attitude. So you sold everything and you started your blog. So a, a disconnect for me, for people following your story, I'm assuming we would have similar disconnects, is you built your blog, you had your viewers vote for where you would live. So I understand that they voted for where you lived and you'd go there for three or four months and, and you did the – the full immersion, which was fantastic, instead of working, you know, going as a tourist, which most of us think you do when you travel. How did you build that audience that then voted for you and followed you? It was a little slow at first. Um, <laughs> it, it, I mean, like anything, it, it's a little bit slow. You have to get up to several hundred people before it starts to kind of maintain itself, and, and then you can spread by word of mouth. A lot of it in the initial days was kind of exchanging, trading guest posts and such with other people. It, this was what worked kind of in the earlier days of blogging, and it's a, it's a very different creature now, now that social media is a bigger uh, force in that um, publishing sphere, the online publishing sphere. But at the time, it was a lot of guest posts. It was a lot of like live discussions on Twitter, things of that nature. Um, but then it, it was just being consistent too, like writing every day in most cases for the first couple of years and um, doing what you can to help other people. A big part of the blog and, and, and what I do in general actually is being able to interact with other people and hear about what they're up to, their concerns. That helps me kind of evolve my own thoughts and points of view on things while also trying to share what I can. And so from the beginning, I encouraged people to write me and, and tell me something about themselves and what they're up to and such. And I've gotten tens of thousands of emails over the years. And, and that I think helps as well because then it's not a one-way uh, monologue the way a lot of blogs tend to be. It's more of a discussion. These are people who know who you are and you know who they are. And then maybe if you never even meet them in person, you've still had kind of a discussion and it's a two-way street. So I think that helped quite a bit as well with the initial days of, of growing that initial audience. That's fantastic. And I know I jumped on years after you had started this because you were 24 and um... – I think I first heard about you maybe two years ago, about there, right about there. So you'd been, you'd had momentum by then. But one thing that made me so drawn to you is that you actually answered the email. And, <laughs> it's and, important to me. I, I don't right. understand people. It, like, I, actually, I do. I do understand people who outsource that or have all automated responses or, or don't even answer emails. I get it because that's, not something that adds to their life. Maybe that's not how they interact with people. It distracts them in some cases. For me, though, that's why am I even doing this if I don't get to meet people? And that's why I travel. I, I want to see the world from different points of view. And for me, this was just an extension of that where I could have people writing to me and telling me what they care about, what they're doing, what they're up to, what their family is like. And that way I get to see all of the other options that are out there that I can maybe add to my recipe at some point in the future. But if nothing else, I, I kind of know who's reading my stuff, what I can tell them that would be helpful, what wouldn't. Uh, and, and just to have this network then of people who are potential friends throughout the world that I can reach out to at any point. 
And that's sort of my philosophy, which I think is why it made such a difference to me when I received that email and I was like, holy cow, he, like he emailed me. He's, he used my name, not in an automated way. Like, Hey Jen, thanks for <laughs> writing. And I, I really, it was shocking because you were already a good six years into this. And like you said, most of the time people just do not respond, but I love that feedback myself and through social media and the more social media grows, the more this is true. I feel like I know you and I, mm. do, and I don't know you cause we haven't actually met, but because you're sharing your life and experience. And when you say, and tell me your story, that mm -hmm. makes it feel like a relationship. Good, good. Yeah. Yes. I, and it's that's, amazing. We that's have so fantastic. many tools. Yes. We have so many tools today. And to me, uh, there's this term I came up with a couple of years ago, vehicle agnostic. The idea being that like I'm an author for a living. That's how I earn most of my money. But to me, every single different medium of communication is a, a legitimate medium of communication. And so you use different mediums depending on who you're talking to, what story you're trying to tell, what you're trying to share. And so for me, every time something new comes out, like say Snapchat, rather than looking at it and saying, oh, these crazy punk kids with their, their new apps I don't understand. I try to look at it as like almost like somebody who's worked with charcoal their entire life who's suddenly discovering oil paint. Like it's it's an extension of what I already do. Now I just need to figure out if this is something I enjoy using, if it's worth learning the technique, and then what kind of information or stories can I share or what types of conversations can I have using it. And it really does help flesh out your own story to other people, but then also to create those relationships between me with people that you don't actually know in real life, but you can come to know because of what they're sharing and uh, the way that they are telling stories as well. Yeah, I loved it. it. It really did make a big difference. Now, I was hugely disappointed, though, because you were supposed – you went on tour with The Minimalists a year or so ago, about a, maybe a year ago, and Reno was on your list, and I showed up, and I was – excited to be able to be on the hug tour oh, and you guys that was the one we were in fargo yeah, yeah you bailed and i didn't know until then and so <laughs> so sorry about yeah, that i wanted That's... a hug fest it did not happen <laughs> oh it's so it's so difficult because that it is that tour was a long tour oh, too i honestly i i didn't follow it i don't follow anything super super closely i mean i'm really not a very good stalker but I, I didn't realize that you guys had to switch until after. And I, I showed up and I went and I'm thinking, I don't, none of these people look like the three people I'm looking <laughs> and, I, and then I'm thinking, well, maybe it's like their high school photo. This is like online dating, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been what Sean and Josh and Sky, I think. Yes. Right? Yes. And so I stayed and I was super excited to know about asymmetrical press. So you started asymmetrical press also with, uh, the minimalists. Is that correct? Is that kind of uh -huh. how it works? Okay. And so I, I mean, when you're following this journey and you have your journey of your own that's somewhat parallel, you want to see it, smell it, touch it, feel it, you know, get the hug, um, have the mm -hmm. connection, take the picture. And, um, that tour was insanely, I don't know how you did as much as you did 
as, even though it, I'm disappointed that we know about Skip. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be coming through again, though. We, honestly, all three of us and, and all the other guys who came too, uh, everybody involved in that tour, we love touring because we get to go out and do that, get to go out and meet people and, and give hugs and receive hugs and, and hear from people and talk to people one on one in person. But God, it, they are logistical nightmares, I and you, you almost always lose money on it. And it, it's something that takes up. It, just picture the most um, the most difficult and arduous journey you've ever been on, and then extend that out to two or three months, yeah. and and then take that like the condition that you're in while on the road that long. Um, you know, sharing hotel rooms with other people, some of whom snore, <laughs> go out on stage every night and be on right. completely, particularly when at least half of you are incredible introverts. Yeah. Uh, so, that, that's what we want people to see is the, the fun stuff and not have to see all the other stuff because we do have fun and, and we want everybody involved to have fun. But it it is an arduous process sometimes. And I was going to ask about the introvert versus extrovert because I'm an extrovert and being on and on stage is one of my favorite places to be. That energy actually feeds me, whereas an introvert, it can drain you. Mm. And so, yes, that, but still, still it's exhausting. Even as an yeah. extrovert that feeds off it, that is exhausting. So Yeah, it's, it's a different creature, definitely. Now that you've had six years in, what, what were the biggest – I mean, I think the biggest struggle was initially having the money, having the lifestyle, realizing you didn't want it, figuring out what you wanted, moving forward in that. And then since then, then you built your audience, and you've, you've traveled everywhere. I mean, you're – your story is really amazing. I get to see places in the world that I can't get to see right now through you doing this traveling and living like a native, um, which is exceptional. So what has been the biggest struggle or the continuing struggle now that you're <laughs> six years in, eight years in? Uh, seven years, seven years. Okay. 2009 um, was when I left. It's It's interesting because, yeah, the initial struggle was kind of figuring out who I am and, and if I'm trying to optimize for that, what does that look like? Uh, and then somewhere along the way, you kind of catch your stride and your new normal becomes living a lifestyle that is very optimized for you and every day is a little bit better. And I've just been, it's been seven years of immense satisfaction and fulfillment. It's been so crazy. Even, even the difficult things when like changing business models here or deciding to make an investment here or, you know, struggling through cultural misunderstandings here. Um, <laughs> th those are little things relative to the figuring out who you are and changing. Um, the, the bigger picture struggle then along the way is once you kind of change that frame, that, that sense of who you are, how do you continue to allow yourself to evolve rather than just becoming stuck as a new caricature, as a new version? Like if you go from, say, L.A. entrepreneur guy and then you change over to minimalist travel guy, how do you allow yourself to continue to grow and change so that you don't get stuck as this type of minimalist travel guy? And I mean, there's so many – most of the philosophies that I started out with are still very similar, but a lot of details have changed and a lot of that lifestyle I still enjoy immensely. But there's a lot of other things I'd like to do as well. And so then how do you integrate all of those things so that you don't completely – so that you don't have a shock to the system unnecessarily, but at the same time so that you don't get stuck in the same thing just for the sake of doing the same thing. Almost, not out of cowardice, but out of um, 
out of care to maintain this thing that you've built. Uh, that, that tends to be a really, really difficult thing to do. So staying true to yourself and who you are through the growth period. Yeah, yeah. And, and essentially what it comes down to is making growth a part of your sense of self. That, that's something that I've realized is the easiest way, I think, to stay malleable is making sure that you, part of your self-identity is I am someone who grows and I am someone who experiments and tries things. I am someone who is okay with failure, but I'm somebody who will always get back up after I fail. Uh, and, and making that a core component of it, then everything else is kind of built on top. There's a, a lot of things that I'm doing right now that are a big shift from the way that I have been doing things. And I, I feel great about that regardless because to me it seems like a natural extension of who I am and what I value. Well, and you're showing it as a natural extension because I followed, the, I mean, I follow your, your blog and the move to Kansas and the shift. But as a person from the outside looking in, part of me wonders, okay, how long, is this going to be a lifetime thing that people vote and you go there? How long is it going to last? How are you going to involve? Because part of that journey is what's sort of exciting for the outsider to watch and the mm -hmm. struggles we want to know the struggles people want to see you fall on your face but then they want to see you pick <laughs> it up and they do i mean in my minimalist journey the pictures that get the most hits are when i had my entire driveway filled with stuff in the salvation army van there or people going through they want to see the tragedy and then they want to see the success behind that because it, then they feel okay with themselves too. And so yeah. your, your journey in showing those, I wouldn't call them mistakes, but struggles and how it's all shifting into something new and different. And now the biggest question that I had in the beginning, because you, you broke up with your girlfriend, which that happens every day, but then how do you have relationships in this whole process. And I actually never asked you the question, but you answered it organically. And part <laughs> of it's through your book. And part of it's because is that the most common question you get? Like, how do you have, people are wondering, like, you're 31, you've got to want to have sex, right? Like, how do you have sex? <laughs> how do you have relationships? Uh, do you feel like something's missing because you're not living with a woman? Mm. And you're really pretty honest and low key about it. And I love that. So if you want to. Yeah. The, the answer of, of, of how I deal with relationships is very carefully. I, yes. um, I, I've become increasingly aware, one, that, that what I want out of life, but also in relationships is a little bit non-standard. Um, so that, that is something I'm careful about, but, but also because of the nature of, of how I live my lifestyle too, uh, because it's non-standard you have that increased possibility to accidentally lead people on, accidentally hurt people, accidentally do all these things that ideally you don't want to do. And so for me, I, it's a very, very careful, usually surprisingly drawn out process. Oh, that sounds <laughs> Yeah, well, draw, drawn out in the sense that if you, if you live in one place for a very long time, then maybe you meet somebody and you go out a couple of times and then you're dating. For me, typically when I meet somebody, either Maybe I won't see them for a couple of weeks because I'll be gone or maybe we'll be in the same area. But like I know that I'll only be there for four months and I, I need to make sure to communicate that very clearly right away and communicate very clearly that, you know, listen, I am leaving on this day. 
how do you feel about that and what does that look like? In some cases, that means that maybe we'll only date till that point and have a natural deadline and just enjoy the moment for what it is. In some cases, that means that maybe we'll date and then maybe we'll continue to date and travel together off and on for a couple of years. Um, and in some cases, it's just not okay. That's not what they're looking for and that's fine. And we, we are just friends. But I, I tend to go into these things very carefully because I have to be very realistic about it that I don't want to hurt anybody. And I also don't want to uh, bend in such a way that I give up everything that I care about for the traditional idea of a relationship. And to me, what that looks like then is something like this. It, it's still something that changes all the time. And I'm always kind of trying new things and, and allowing myself to, you know, based on the situation, go with the flow with certain things uh, based on those standards of nobody getting hurt and of not uh, making sure that everybody's fully informed of everything. But uh, as a result, I, I tend to step very carefully because it, it is such a non-standard thing that requires explanation. I think maybe that's what I really like about how you do all of this. You know you're out of the box. You're very upfront about being out of the box and that that is now your box. I mean, that's where you fit. And um, you have some sort of openness or rawness about that about your story when I first started reading about it you kind of just organically answer either through a book and you have uh, the book about relationships is it called the truth about relationships uh some thoughts about some relationships thoughts. I'm sorry. yeah yes okay. I definitely don't have the truth about relationships <laughs> I wish you did I would buy it <laughs> um because relationships are difficult no matter what and you're just dealing with a unique situation I mean, it's really no different than me saying, hey, I've got all these kids you want to date. <laughs> mm -hmm, You're saying, mm -hmm. hey, I travel, I want to date. But somehow it seems so different to everyone because it's non-standard. And I just – I've really enjoyed your approach to um, to every situation that comes up in your journey. And it, it kind of – things just organically get answered if you follow along. So, oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah I try, no, I try I really to be communicative. Um, and, and I find that that's usually the best way to approach anything because it, it helps you then in terms of your relationships when you are communicative and open about everything. The, I, I, I'm a terrible liar, which is – it was good when, even when I didn't have this philosophy. But my philosophy now is just to avoid lies, just tell the truth, tell people things. It's amazing how many problems that solves ahead of time. But it's also something that allows you to be honest with yourself and to realize things about yourself mid-conversation sometimes and then use that to change the way that you're living or the way that you're doing things. It's right. it's a really, really simple trick that shouldn't be unusual. <laughs> but um, for some reason, it, it tends to be particularly within relationships. And one question that I like to ask when I'm doing an interview is what skills did you use? And you're saying honesty. I yeah, honesty yeah. It, and, all things, and, right? and, and being communicative because I think it's possible to be honest without – being clear about it, like to really kind of mumble it or to beat around the bush or to assume that people just understand what you're trying to imply. I, I mean, like be clear, like say exactly, even if it's uncomfortable, just be brutally open and honest that that to me like a first date for me usually it, it's more of a friendship interview is the way that I, I tend to think of it where you go out for coffee <laughs> and you're just trying to say is this somebody that i like and then if there's chemistry maybe you go out on like a date date but i during that conversation at some point 
I make very clear the way that I live, the way things typically go, and make put make sure that everything's on the table because that way there's no chance of misunderstanding and misconstruing and potentially hurt feelings. So is that the most common question you get from viewers? Is it a relationship question? <laughs> it's usually about relationships or about like what's your favorite country or, or something along those okay. lines. What's your favorite country? I, I can't choose an absolute no, favorite. No, I can't That's... even imagine. I would have never <laughs> asked you that question because yeah. I mean having just traveled through a huge portion of the United States and living in probably 10 or 11 different states, I – I can tell you what some least favorite things are, but geez, I, I mean, how do you even choose that? They're all so diverse. Exactly. It's a little bit easier if you ask like what country has the most diverse cuisine or something very specific like that. What country has the best healthcare, things of that nature. But to okay. say best is such an obscure type of thing. Um, like I could choose like what's, um, I could tell you my one of my favorite or two of my favorite places to sit and write are Reykjavik, Iceland and Missoula, Montana. These are two places that have a climate I enjoy. They have a, a culture that I enjoy. They really put me at ease and they are wonderful places not to have adventures but to write about adventures that you've had. Whereas a place like Calcutta in India is a place that is incredibly uncomfortable for me uh, based on the lifestyle that I've lived my entire life. It is so interesting and educational and challenging and difficult and remarkable and inspiring on so many levels. It's a place where I barely got anything done, but I learned an immense amount about the world and about myself. And so two very different types of favorites. And I could probably do that with every single place that I've lived because every place has something that it does better than any other place in the world. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine that. So to kind of wrap things up, what are you doing moving forward and what is the easiest way for people to find out about you or follow well, you? Yeah, my my next several steps involve, as you alluded to, <laughs> moving to Wichita, Kansas. Um, yeah, which not is... what I expected. <laughs> Me neither. Everybody Almost a disappointment. <laughs> every, every time I, I, the word Kansas comes up, my mother <laughs> kind of giggles like it's the funniest thing that she's ever heard that I'm moving to Kansas. Um, but the idea is that it's an exotic place to me. It's a very – it's a type of place I haven't lived before. Oh, you nailed that one. Yeah. Yeah, and it aligns well. My The project – that I'm really focusing on right now. I've, I'm still writing, of course, but I'm, I'm working on a YouTube show called Consider This and a podcast called Let's Know Things. And both of those projects require a great deal more production than writing. I can write from anywhere. It's hard to modulate the lighting and the audio and things of that nature from like a, the back of a bus in, in Kolkata. Um, so I'm taking the time to set up an in-home studio, setting up a home base to work on those things. And then uh, I bought a car so that I can road trip regularly around the United States as I'm settling in uh, to this exotic place to work as well. And the, the best place is to check out my stuff. You can go to colin.io to see my list of books, and it's got links to all of my projects. Um, Let's Know Things has been doing really well. That's a podcast that you can find anywhere you find podcasts. And then my social media is pretty much everywhere. At uh, Colin is my name. 
And I found you through Exile Lifestyle. I mean, you can search almost anything. If you search your name, if you can find you. Yeah, if you just Google Colin Wright, that's usually the best it, way. It pops everything up because I, I literally, I stumbled upon you initially, and then it's usually most things are connected. But the podcast is great. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm having so much fun with that. It's interesting because I've heard you talk in so many different places, like clips on stage, and you did the Periscope um, from different countries, and I jumped in on those. And then I listened to your podcast, and you're very mellow in the podcast. <laughs> it's a different interaction for you, um, and your voice is like – it's so much deeper. And I thought, holy cow, who is this guy podcasting? <laughs> so I listened to it just for your voice. Uh <laughs> Some people say the opposite. Some people are like, dude, the vocal fry. Chill out on the vocal fry. So I've been having to learn what vocal fry is so yeah. that I know how I'm being uh, insulted. Uh, no, it's, it's actually – there's a lot of stuff that I hopefully will be able to work on because for me explaining that type of stuff, it makes much more sense to go a little bit more slowly and modulate right. and to breathe. Whereas if I'm up on stage or doing an interview or something, then I tend to get more excited and to go much faster paced. Right. Yeah, it is different, and it's been interesting over the past couple of years to kind of follow that. But you are still you through all of it, and um, that's it. That's an exceptional quality. So, oh, thank you very much. You are very welcome, and thank you, thank you for the interview and the time, uh, which is very valuable. And I will send you links and put all of your information on. And I really, really appreciate you. Uh, likewise, thank you for having me. Once again, I'd like to thank Colin for being on the podcast. Again, you can find him on ExileLifestyle.com. Search Colin Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. He's on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. You can also find him on Colin.io. Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Like, share, and of course, comment. I welcome input with attitude. Get a copy of my book on Amazon, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, or check out my website, jentaylor.net. And if you still want more, sign up for one of my coaching packages.